Hi, I'm Frank Ferris, one of the principals of the Palliative Care Interdisciplinary Curriculum. I want to personally thank you for joining us for this module in our series on effective teaching strategies. All right, everybody ready to get started? So, I'm Jen Middleton, and today we're going to do part one of Phenomenal Presentations. You have seen a lot of not phenomenal presentations in your medical career. You may have even given a couple. That's okay. Nobody ever taught you how to do this before. We're going to fix that. All right? So part one, content and slide design. Part two is going to be our next session together, physical presence, nonverbals. And we'll talk about why it's so important to think about these things. But I'm really thrilled that Dr. Ferris agrees with me that this is such an important skill set that we didn't try to cram it all into one session, that we're going to have a little bit of time to explore it. Okay, everybody has a handout? All right. So what are our objectives? We're going to talk about focusing your presentation's content on three to four key points. Remember when we talked about Kemp? few months ago we talked about how many things folks can remember from any event that they go to three to four we're going to distinguish between serif and sans serif fonts are those terms anybody is familiar with all right yep a little bit so some of you may know this already cool you can school the rest of us and then we're going to talk about how you design slides that support your message and I don't want you to walk out of here with you know Middleton knockoff slides I want you to walk out of here with slides that look like you because it's really important that your slides reinforce the message that you're bringing to your audience. Your audience makes assumptions about you based on how your slides look. So you want to be in control of what those assumptions are, okay? First though, let's just talk a little bit. What makes a presentation good? Or like so many of those crummy presentations you've seen, what makes a presentation not so good? So shout them out. Good ones are clear and concise. Okay. Bad ones get disorganized. Full slides, full of, sorry, slides full of information. <laughs> You've seen that one over and over again. There's actually a specific term for that we're going to talk about. Cool. What else? In small letters. There's always a lot to say on this topic, so it's all good. We're going to get to everybody. Um, enthusiastic makes good. Hmm. Okay. Just read in slides. Ah, uh. oh, yes. Usually, usually with this kind of orientation to the audience, right? Nobody wants to look at that. I don't care how in shape you are, okay? Don't do that. What else? Audience participation. Okay, where do you want to put that? Good. You mean you just don't want to sit there and be gabbed at for 60 minutes? Of course you don't. You're adult learners. Your learners don't want that either. What else? Time, 20 minutes. Maximum. All right, so I'm going to put over here not too long. How's yeah. that? Is that fair? 
And I'm going to guess not too long of just the person up front going, right? Can you sneak a little bit more time if you have some of this? Can you grant a little more time? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not for a doer, right? Fair enough. What else? Videos and extra things that make you more interactive. Hmm, okay, so interact. I'm just going to say interaction. Is that okay? I'll put videos as one example. Up-to-date information. Ah, so now we're getting the content a little bit here. All right. Up-to-date. Not like the website that is not up-to-date, but actually up-to-date content. Get on that soapbox another time. What else? Practical issue. Mm-hmm. Next to that, may I write relevant? Nothing worse as a family doc is having a specialist come in to give grand rounds and spend 30 minutes talking about a procedure I'm never going to do. Well, there's some things worse, but... Any other thoughts? You got, got everything? Ah. Or monotone, boring, boring, right? So we have some things here on content. We have some things here on visuals. And we have some, some things here just on the presenter, him or herself, on their style, right? So we want the content to be clear, concise, I might say focused here. We want the content to be correct and relevant to what we do. We want our slides not to be over crammed, full of stuff with teeny tiny font that we have to work hard to read. So here's the problem with this, all right? The instant your audience has to spend extra effort to look at what's on your slides, guess what effort they're not giving to you or to learning the content, okay? So that's why this is a cardinal sin. Reading the slides, voice too soft, enthusiastic, that all starts to get into more to what we're gonna talk about next time, all right? But important things to think about. Remember from Kemp instructional strategies, interaction participation all right audiences want to be engaged I don't care if you're presenting to a group of 120 people you can find ways to get them engaged and that is your challenge okay let's keep this backdrop in mind so 30 seconds 30 seconds is how long it takes for your audience assuming they don't know you or don't know you well to make a determination a decision a judgment about you from the time they first see you and your title slide. 30 seconds. We're gonna talk about that again next time in terms of how that relates to presenter appearance, interaction, etc. But I want you to think about it today in terms of what your slides look like, all right? If you put up slide, your first slide looks like this, you've, you've made a judgment in your mind about who that person is and what their utility is gonna to be to you, right? So 30 seconds. The other time metric I want you to remember is this one, 10 minutes. 10 minutes is about how long the average invested audience member will give you to talk at them until they start to tune out unless you give them something to do. There are folks saying now with millennials, nothing against millennials, I love millennials, saying with millennials it's four to five. 
minutes because they are much more sophisticated content absorbers. Okay? So when you're putting together your presentation, I want you to keep these two metrics in mind. If you're going to go more than 10 minutes talking at folks without doing something, you better have a really good reason. Because let me tell you, once you lose your audience's attention, it's gone. You've, you've lived this. You've been in boring talks. Once you're done, you're done. You're not coming back, okay? You have this in your pocket. Everybody in your audience has this in their pocket. And yeah, you might say, first, I got some important stuff to work on. I'm just going to use this time better. But let's be honest. This is where everybody goes, okay? All right? This is what you're competing against. This wasn't the case even 15 years ago when I was in medical school. We didn't all have these in our pocket. And those of us that did have them, there was nothing cool on them to do. But this is what you're competing against now. So the stakes are even higher as educators to do everything within your power to keep your audience's attention and focus. And it's your job. I have a hard time convincing some of the old and crusty educators I work with across the street that it's their job to do this. Because they say, oh, my learners need to come prepared. It's on my learners. No, it is not your learner's job to dig through a whole bunch of crappy slides in a monotone voice for 60 minutes. No adult's going to do that. So this is your job to design something to keep them engaged. And how do you do that? With focused content, all right? Nobody wants to learn about 8 million gajillion things. Nobody can. Slides that support your message and you as a presenter. So these are two things we're going to do today. And next time, because it's so important, we're going to spend an entire session on physical presence and voice and how you stand. Because you guys are expert communicators. You know what percentage of communication is the words and the content you say compared to the tone of voice, the body language, etc. Okay? That's why we're going to do a whole session on that. But first things first, let's talk about content. A successful presentation starts before slide creation. We talked about this a little bit when we did Kemp. So what's the first thing most folks do when they're told they have to give a talk? They sit down, open up PowerPoint, make a title slide, start to put some stuff in there, blah, blah, blah. Don't do that, all right? You guys are going to know better than that now. You've got to have a plan first. Yes, doers, you've got to have a plan. Yes, practical applicators. If you have a plan, you can take into account all the things that we're going to talk about deliberately, okay? Remember this? Please say yes. Don't hurt my feelings, okay? <laughs> what are your goals? Who are your learners? What do you need to do to prepare? What are your instructional objectives? What content are you going to cover? What strategies? So important. If you have 45 to 60 minutes with folks, what strategies are you going to use to reinforce these objectives? Think back to the last 45 minutes we just spent together. So those are all those activities you guys did were instructional strategies designed to reinforce each one of these. Okay? And you can look back at that handout later and hopefully see that connection. How are you going to design the message? What do you need in terms of donuts, coffee, and slide projectors to get things going? How are you going to evaluate it? So this is one way that you can think about that presentation to plan. There's lots of other ways, but plan. Have an outline. Whether you do this on paper or on some of the really cool outline brainstorming apps that are out there right now, but trust me, if you do this before you open PowerPoint, you're going to be so much happier with how it's going to come together. It's going to feel much more cohesive. It's not going to feel like this. This is what happens when you just sit down and regurgitate stuff in the slides. Okay? 
focus, 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 focus on three to four main points. Identify them with your objectives. We talked about this with Kemp. I'm bringing it up again for a reason. It's really important. This is all they're going to walk out with. I don't care how awesome you are. This is all they're going to walk out with. So be deliberate about what you want them to be and focus it. And don't try to do too much. I gave you guys the example when we talked about Kemp, about the cardiologist who likes to come in and teach our residents about EKGs. And in one hour, does everything. Let's do everything. Let's do AFib, let's do SVT, let's do da, da, da. I mean, it's like literally 25 different heart rhythm abnormalities in an hour. Nobody can learn that, all right? Focus. You guys know how to do this too after doing camp, right? Are you starting to see some not quality objectives out there in the world since you had camp? Uh-huh, I told you, I'd ruin you. Action verbs that are measurable. I gave you Bloom's taxonomy last time. Use it. Ensure that you met your goals. Make sure that you're at the correct level of Bloom's taxonomy for where your learners are. If you're presenting them with new information, you can't start at the top of the pyramid. You need to start at the bottom with gaining knowledge and applying it. Structure. Are you just going to talk at them? You only have 10 minutes then. This might be appropriate for a little mini lecture on rounds. 10 minutes. Most of the time, this is probably the structure you want to think about doing. This is the structure I've role modeled for you in our time together so far. No more than 10 minutes of talking and an activity. And it's not just any activity, and it's not an activity just for the fun of it. It's an activity to reinforce the content in that didactic that hopefully relates back to your objective. And the way I like to build things is that this is objective one, this is objective two, if I have three objectives, objective three, didactic activity. It's a really foolproof way to build a presentation that you know is going to hit your objectives and keep your audience engaged. There might be some things that you do that are all activity, as we talked about last time. You know, suturing workshop? Give me the pig's foot. Let's go. Um, no, no reason to do all this interspersed didactic. But you want to be intentional about your structure. This is part of your instructional strategies. Your structure should reflect your content and your objectives. Okay. You see now why it's so important to plan this before you just sit down and regurgitate into PowerPoint. So I know you all have grand rounds coming up, and we talked about this when we did camp. You can use a different example if you want to, but I bet you're all going to use this one, and that's okay. But we're going to take it to the next level today. So at the bottom of page one, I want you to write what your rough draft of your objectives are for that presentation. And it doesn't have to be in full fancy-fied language, just what the ideas are, what your main topics are. But next to that, what are your instructional strat what is your instructional strategy going to be? How are you going to reinforce that objective? You remember we talked about lots of different ways to do that when we talked about Kemp, and you've seen lots of different types of activities, hopefully role modeled here in terms of how to do that. So let's just take two or three minutes and jot that down. Do I have anyone willing to share an objective? in the strategy they brainstormed for it. This is your chance to get some feedback and assistance from your peers, potentially. Nobody wants a spoiler alert before their big day. You're keeping them all in suspense. For me, it's more of a oh, microphone, please. Thank you. 
I don't actually have any clear instructional strategies, okay. mostly because it's a challenge in the, the setting of grand mm -hmm. rounds to mm -hmm. what is feasible, what's appropriate, uh, sure. as opposed to a lecture to learners. Absolutely. Well, would you be willing to share one of your objectives and maybe we might brainstorm? Yeah. So just as a, a general overview, my topic's going to be the role of palliative medicine in the uh, liver transplant population. Okay. Um, and so my third objective is to uh, recognize the next steps for integration of palliative into the care of these patients. Mm. Um, the general background of what the strategy I hope will reflect is comparing and contrasting the role of palliative in other disease states, heart failure, mm. cancer, and how you can maybe apply some of those models to the liver transplant population. Cool. So I wonder, if your objective is more comparing contrast or even just contrast than recognize. And, if, and, and sometimes that's what happens. You start to think about what's my strategy and when you do some of that thinking you're like, oh wait, you know, my objective isn't really just recognize. It's not really just recognize. You want them to, we're getting kind of context cold here, right? So you want them to take knowledge that they have previously and apply it to this new thing. That's really cool, by the way. So if we think about it that way, what kind of activities might you be able to do to help people compare and contrast? You do the one minute paper. Yes, absolutely. You could do that, absolutely. You could do um, think, pair, share, where you turn to the person next to you. As a facilitator, you have to be really mindful of time and you have to be strict about bringing people back together again. And we can talk about some of those challenges. Um, you turn to the person next to you. How does this, you might give people a case. If this was a heart failure patient instead of a liver patient, what might you do here? If this was a cancer patient, everybody talks about cancer with palliative in hospice, right? If this was a cancer patient instead of a liver patient, what might you do here? And then how might those come together and overlap? Um, think pair share is a really nice, or the one minute, is a really nice thing to do in a big group because it gives people the chance to do something. The other thing I would encourage you to do, especially in a big group, is give people spaces to write things down. Um, again, when you write it down, something powerful happens in terms of it just not being jumbled around up here. It's a little bit more concrete. So I like when I do think, pair, share, to have people jot down, now turn to the person next to you, share what you said, and then can we get a couple of representatives to share to the big group? But either of those work, okay? So yeah, when you got a big group, yeah, yeah, you have to be a little bit more careful. And every time you send people to do something with other people, you have to budget time for them to come back and focus on you. And you have to be deliberate about getting them to focus back on you. But it can be done. All right? So that's one example. I will say before I forget, as you guys are working on these, you have a wonderful resource in Dr. Ferris, certainly. Um, but also, if I can be of any assistance to you, please let me know. I'm happy if there's spots where you're getting stuck or you're like, I don't have a good strategy. Shoot me an email or call me. We'll talk. I need your Okay, can do. Can do. We'll talk. All right. In the interest of time, I'm going to have us move on to talking about slide design. I'm just going to ask you a question. You can feel free to be totally honest with me. Do my slides look like slides that you're used to seeing most of the time? Not really. What's different about them? 
from it's not the same um, structure with each side so there's some visual difference what else and the colors you use because uh, we listen we hear that white with black font or black with white font and uh, it's not so uh, common mm -hmm. I, I like to use like this mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. So both the idea of contrast and the idea of color. Yeah. Color Most is very them, powerful. They are used blue slides. So you know where that came from? You are probably too young to remember. When PowerPoint first came out in the 1990s, the stock background was blue with white font. So you have to be careful. If you use blue with white font, Folks in the know may recognize that as being from that era. That could be a good and a bad thing. You just want to be deliberate and in charge of if you make that choice. Anything else? Can you use an animation. Mm-hmm. I hope you've noticed that there are a fair number of those and that they are relevant and that they feel integrated into the slide. All right, hopefully it doesn't look like I just plopped it in there from Google Images, that it looks like a cohesive whole. I'm gonna show you all the tricks about how you do that, okay? So what's the difference? Those who know the answer, if you've seen this before, sit on your hands for a minute. Those who haven't. What's the difference between the font on the left in the font on the right. Okay, see the difference? There's these little tails hanging off the letters on the font on the right. And there are no tails on the font on the left. This seems like a really persnickety, nitpickety point, but it's extreme, it's so important I made it one of your objectives today. Okay? I'm gonna change the way you look at billboards and PowerPoints forever now. I've warned you. The font on the left is sans serif font types. They are less fatiguing for distance reading. You will never see a billboard that is not in a sans serif, no billboard has the fonts with the little tails hanging off of it, okay? Why? Because it's less fatiguing to read from a distance. PowerPoint, billboards, computer screens. Sans is Latin for without. Guess what serif is Latin for? Tail. Serif fonts. Less fatiguing for close-up reading. If you take your Kindle out, I bet you the typeface in the book you're reading right now, or your nook or whatever it is, is in serif font. It has all these little tails. Serif tail. You learned in the last hour that I'm a practical applicator. So I don't really care what the theory is behind all of this, but there is some visual theory behind it. What I want you to know is that if you're looking at a serif font on a PowerPoint screen, subconsciously your brain and your visual system has to expend more energy to interpret the letters. 
So next time you're in a talk with somebody using a serif font, pay attention to your energy level and your attention. It craps out fast, all right? Very fast. Never, ever, ever do this on a PowerPoint slide. There's no good reason. I don't speak in absolutes very much, but this is one of them. Don't do this, okay? Don't, 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 don't. You're, you're sunk before you start if you do that. Your audience is not going to be able. They, know, they won't know why. You know why now. They won't know why, but they're going to just have a lot of difficulty attending to what you're doing, okay? It looks so pretty on the computer screen. That's part of the hard thing. Don't do it. So on page two of your handout, just very quickly, we make sure that you are pros in identifying serif versus sans serif font. Let's go through and pop some check marks in there. What font is this handout in, by the way? Serif or sans, it's in serif, that's intentional. It's one of the reasons why PowerPoint slides as handouts don't work, one of many. All right, everybody ready to check? How'd you do? We all right? When you're thinking about choosing fonts too, fonts evoke feeling and emotion, don't they? So Arial is kind of a little more formal. I'm a big Calibri fan, feels a little more informal. That fits better with my personality and my presenting style. Comic Sans, unless you're a kindergarten teacher, please, please don't do it in an attempt to be cool and relevant. It just looks ridiculous. All right, don't do that. For handouts, your handout is in Cambria. Why? Because everybody does Times New Roman and I want it to be different. I, I want there to be a different, distinct look about what I do. But you have lots of choices. Any questions about serif versus sans serif font? Never, ever put a PowerPoint slide in serif font, ever. Have I convinced you? Now, every time you go to a presentation, guess what you're going to be judging people on? <laughs> you guys talked about this already. Don't make your text too small. This goes back to the same thing as choosing your font. Don't make your audience work extra hard for it. The stuff you are teaching them is hard enough, especially in medicine. Don't make them work for it. 24 point is usually the smallest you should go, and not very often. 28, 32, 36 is better. If you do that, guess what can't happen? Right? Can't put too much on a slide if you're mostly working over here. Well, you can, but, but don't. All right? There's an exception to that. If you're doing references for content and or images, you can discreetly put those at the bottom of the slide. Why? Because the audience doesn't care what issue of New England Journal your chart is from. They just care that you referenced it. All right? So they can see that you referenced it. They're content with that. You don't want the reference to be more important than the other information on the slide. But otherwise, no, 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 no. And the size for reference, the size of the phone? Um, usually I'll do 14 to 16. 16. Somebody referenced this already. But those of us in the presentation nerd world affectionately refer to as slide karaoke. You've seen this done before. 
an example slide. I'm the presenter, presenting to be, pretending to be a presenter. Testing for corneal abrasion. Start by turning off the lights in the room. Make the room as dark as possible. Otherwise, it will be difficult to see the abrasion slide up. Are you bored already? Right? What's part of the reason why you're bored? Where had most of you read to on here already? Okay? Your audience can read faster than you can speak. Is one of the many reasons why slide karaoke is boring, boring, boring. You don't need to have every single thought you're going to share with your audience on a slide. If you're using it as a crutch, the time to let go of that crutch is now. Okay? You need to know your content well enough so that the slides are your backup singers. You're the main attraction. People want to connect with other people. They want to connect with a human being. We're going to talk about the things you can do deliberately to help them connect with you as a human being next time. But don't let your slides steal that away. Okay? Keep backgrounds simple. You've all seen these horrific stock PowerPoints and or people who cram way too many pictures and other stuff on the slide, all right? Keep your clutter to a minimum. You don't have to be as bare bones as I am, and sometimes you're going to have complex things to teach people that you need to get on a slide. But what can you do, again, to make it low energy for your audience to read and follow? Don't make them have to fight through a whole bunch of clutter on a slide. I'm still waiting for somebody to call me out on this, but when I give presentations, I never put Ohio Health Believe in We, the thing at the bottom that everybody wants, wants me to do. I'm doing a webinar for SDFM next month, and I told SDFM I would not do it if they made me use their, their, their template slide with SDFM faculty development blah, blah, blah along the bottom of every slide. Why do you think I did that? Yeah, it's, it's cluttered. We want people to be able to use it as well. Yes. And you can't share if you've got trademark stuff on it. And I don't want people spending their energy on every single slide having to look at that stuff. Everything you put on a slide takes energy to absorb. So put your logo at the beginning. Yay, rah, rah, go team. But this idea of logos on the bottom of every slide. All right. If your institution makes you do that, pretend you're a practical applicator and say why. Not doing it. It's not good presentation skill. Stock PowerPoint templates are not your friend. And you have seen them. There's even some new really pretty ones. Unless you're giving a presentation about Big Bird, this is not appropriate. So a lot of the problem is people pick these stock templates because they look kind of cool. And the pictures and the visual support and or the colors have nothing to do with their content. And guess now what you've done. Brains in the audience have to interpret every picture on there and think about how to put it in context with what you did. So guess what you just took energy away from doing? All right? These are not your friend. You all seen the one with the little runner? Everybody likes that one in Feeling Medicine, the little runner at the stop gates. It's on every slide. Don't do that. This is another thing I urge you to think about, this concept of death by bullets feels very uncomfortable. Some of you, your body language has changed when I put this up because what's a PowerPoint without bullets, right? Point after point after slide after slide of bullets is boring. How many bullets have you seen in my presentation so far? You're still getting the concepts okay, right? I hope. Okay, it can be done. In fact, it's better. If you're going to use bullets, use them deliberately. 
because you have some ideas that you want to keep linked together. Don't do it just because it defaults up in PowerPoint. All right? Sorry, I didn't understand bullet. So a bullet is this. Uh, okay. okay? Thank you for asking. These are bullets. Um, they are not your friend. They are not your friend. If you want that 30 seconds to make an impression that you're somebody cool and with it in your own individual personality, don't clutter your slides up with these, okay? This is what folks who don't know any better do. This is what I urge you to do. It is not going to feel comfortable the first few times you do it. But I promise you, if you do it, you are going to develop slides that look like you. This happens every time I work with residents and fellows and I tell them zero bullets allowed in your presentation. And they look at me with that look. <laughs> if I can point that out, okay, that's the look. <laughs> and you know what happens every time? They have the coolest kick-ass slides that look like them, that reflect their personality. It's amazing. It happens every time, and I promise it will happen for you. So my challenge to you when you sit down to build your slides for your grand rounds is, can I do it without bullets? Or if there's a place to use a bullet, am I using it intentionally, deliberately, and there's a reason, and I'm doing it on one slide, not all 50? Okay? Give it a try. I promise. Promise, cool stuff will happen. It's going to feel weird, but cool stuff will happen. So, how do you make slides when you design without bullets look slick and put together? You want your visual support to feel integrated with the text on a slide, okay? Here's three ways to do it send to back, crop, remove background so that text and pictures look harmonious and not like separate things. Eyedropper, the eyedropper tool to precisely match colors in your text with your visual support. Lining up picture edges with slide edges. Can I indulge you for five more minutes to talk through each of these? Is that okay? One more question. Of course. Uh, you use uh, comma. Mm -hmm. comma. Uh, in the end of the each each. Uh, statement. No, not comma. Period. Yes. Period. I, I doubt if we, we need or we do not need to use them so in our PowerPoint presentation. Comma. Not comma. The, the punctuation. Period. That's very individual. It's a great point. I, my other job, if you remember, is, is a medical journal editor, so I'm a total grammar nerd. If it's a complete sentence, I put a period after it. Oh, yeah? If it's not a complete sentence, I don't. I try not to use too many complete sentences, but when I do, it's because I feel like the concept is either complex and or important enough that I want it to have that weight. Well, I would comment about that as well, because my perspective is periods just add extra things mm -hmm. you have to You have to with. process. The other piece is, I think, uh, punctuation, when you're at distance, often gets confused with the letters. Mm -hmm. So I would put a space before and after the quotes, and I would get put a space before and after the slash that's up there and mm -hmm. or, uh, because your eye then begins to see that it's actually a separator. That's a great point. It's excellent feedback. And, and the quotes there, I would put quote, space, send to the back, comma, space, quote, 
just to spread it out because as you get as you get back in a room, you actually can't distinguish them. That is excellent, excellent points. Um, very different. This is going back to your learners into your setting. If you're in a small room, you can get away with a little bit more than you can when you're planning for a big room. So you have to know what your setup and your visuals are. Awesome. Very well said. Okay, so some pearls. We like, we like pearls in medicine, right? So I'm not going to go through how to do these in detail. There is a um, link in your handout with where you can go to learn how to do these tools if you're not comfortable with them in PowerPoint. But this idea of sending things to back, all right, so that if you need to, you can get some text or other things on top of them to make your images look harmonious. Cropping, you don't have to take the stuff you find in Google Images as is. Make it work for what you're gonna do. And this is my favorite. Are you ready to be wowed? Okay. Now my eyeball doesn't have to play with this line and this line and this line and all this color, all right? Now I'm just focusing on what's really important in this, this. Okay. Excuse me, please. Uh, I didn't understand eyedropper. Coming up. Oh, Next slide. Okay, thank you. We'll go through each of them one by one. Yep. There it is. Mm. All right, so when you need to choose a color, you got all this stuff that will come up, but there's this little magic guy down here called eyedropper. And it will give you this eyedropper tool, and literally all you do is put the end of this little dropper on whatever part of the picture you want to grab the color from and that color is then available for you to use in whatever else you want to use it for to border a picture for your font etc okay so this is my objective slide from here that's where those colors came from so again when things are harmonious it's not just about making it look pretty takes less mental energy. And when things look like they flow together, that increases your authenticity and your authority with your audience, okay? Remember this picture? Where did I have those hands on that picture? Creative. Mm-hmm. Okay, they were at the bottom, why? because I don't want you to think about this line. And again, a lot of this is playing subconscious games, but instead of having your audience focus on where that line is when you put it down here, now it looks integrated into what's going on and I'm not paying attention to where this weird, awkward, I mean, that looks, it's just like decapitated arms and hands hanging off in space, I, that's weird, right? Your brain is gonna process that on some level as being weird. So line those edges up, okay? Last but not least, the distracting no-nos. Copyright watermarks, you've all seen it. Don't do that. One of the frustrating things is that hopefully as you're building your presentation, you're trying to be inclusive in terms of gender and ethnicity and the human beings you depict in your pictures. Um, if you Google search for human beings, sadly what's going to come up most of the time are white human beings. So 
the copyright companies have unfortunately figured out that there are a whole bunch of people looking for more diverse individuals to portray as doctors, nurses, patients, etc. So you have to work a little bit harder to find the ones that don't have these copyrights slapped on them. But I promise you, if you Google African American doctor, you will get about 20 pictures with these watermarks all over them. Don't use the watermarks, okay? Again, focusing on the watermark, not the picture. Not to say you shouldn't work to be inclusive in who you represent in your pictures, but you gotta work a little harder for it. Irrelevant cartoons. You've all heard presenters do this. Here's a little cartoon, just kind of break things up and keep things cool and fun. And now you're all thinking about SpongeBob instead of how to build a presentation, all right? So if you're gonna do a cartoon, make it relevant to what your content is. Otherwise, I just lost focus, I'm not gonna get back. Okay, I know he's awesome, but no. No pineapples under the sea today. Somebody mentioned using animation here, and you can use animation very effectively if it's appear or disappear, but you've all seen people do this. And some of you are making faces already, right? <laughs> it gets so fatiguing, this is so, so old school. If you're gonna do this, do it intentionally. I did this with that boring that swung in on the slide, karaoke slide. You got one chip to spend per presentation to use these, and you better be deliberate about how you do it. Don't, even worse is the slides that fly in and come in. Don't, don't waste people's energy with that stuff, okay? Don't do that. We talked earlier that your audience can read faster than you can speak. So you can use animation, though, to keep your audience's attention, especially when you have several connected ideas that would be overwhelming presented all at once. So the question folks invariably ask me after I give presentations on presentations is, that's all well and good for this simple stuff, what about the really complex stuff I gotta teach people? Animations. So if you think back to what we just did on Kolb, there was a lot of animation as we brought in pieces of that model, right? So you can bring in things a piece at a time to help keep your audience with you. I'm not sure we have time to do our final activity, but I love the questions. I have a feeling you guys could do it anyway. But you're gonna see some kind of real life, these are real life slides that I have encountered in my career. I will not divulge from where. But what I would challenge you to do is to think about how you might improve that slide. And that might start with what's not working in it. But in the interest of time, I'm gonna leave that activity for you on your own. Questions? Did I just completely blow up everything you knew about making presentations? I think that was really helpful. We've never, I've never had a lecture like this before. I've had a very helpful. Thank you. <laughs> Nobody's, that, that's the thing. Don't beat yourself up for doing what you've seen everybody do your whole career up to this point. Because nobody, if you don't, it's like anything else. If nobody's shown you how to do it, how do you know how to do it? So now you know. And we'll do the next half, I think, just in a few weeks. Thank you guys very much for letting me push just a little bit past our time since we started a little late this morning. I appreciate it sincerely. Have a rock and roll day. Jennifer, thank you so much for being here and inspiring us. It is my privilege. Thank you for the, for the invitation. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you'll rate and review this podcast and share it with your colleagues and your friends. So you don't miss any of our new content. 
make sure you are subscribing to PCIC Podcasts. PCIC is sponsored by PalMed, where our aim is to advance palliative care globally and ensure all clinicians have the latest knowledge and skill. To access more PCIC content, please visit palmed.us to review our extensive open access PCIC curriculum.